is in Genesis chapter 35, and you find your place there. We're going to ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. We have followed Jacob down his travels from home to, to Laban's household, and now he's making his way back again. And uh, with Jacob of old, we need to sing the, the song, the words of the song we just heard, Oh, for grace to trust you more. We're going to look at the Lord's sanctifying grace in Jacob's life. At Bethel, he saved him. But salvation does not end the work of the Lord in our lives. It begins the work. It is a finished work of what Christ has done on our behalf. But when he brings us to himself in repentance and faith, he begins to do that work we call sanctification, the setting apart of the believer for his own self. In sanctification, the Lord endeavors and tirelessly works to conform us to the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we enter this chapter, we're going to see several deaths, several funerals. And so we know that the sanctifying work of the Lord in the life of a believer does not exempt us from pain and heartache and sorrow and those things that, that Jacob will witness and experience here. Let's ask the Lord to show us these things in his word today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. We have heard it read and we will hear it again. And then, Lord, by your ordination, the preaching that so many find foolish, you have ordained as the means to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And we realize that this, his gospel is in every line of every portion of this book. This is his story. And I pray, Lord, that I would be a faithful preacher, a proclaimer, a teller of the things of God today. Lord, I am not sufficient of myself to think anything is of myself. But I do know this, that my sufficiency is of God. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit who moved upon men of old to pen these words and has preserved them for us to this very hour. And that this book is sufficient for all that we have need of. And Lord, in this room today, there's so many different needs, burdens and questions. And there's some outside of Christ. They've not come to him in faith and believing on him for salvation. There are those who have various things in their lives that, that uh, you are using and have ordained to bring them to that place of submission, salvation, and sanctification. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us. You are working on each one of us until we awaken your likeness in glory. Now bless us and use us today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob, as Jacob feared 
when his sons sought such horrible revenge. He realized that the nations could have sought revenge, and God so miraculously and wondrously protected them as they journeyed back home. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bathchuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it. He reiterates the Abrahamic covenant made to his father and grandfather. Through Jacob this will be brought to pass. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. We do not know how, but in some visible form the Lord was there. And there was some remarkable, remarkable way that he left. He went up from him, the scripture records for us. It was a very obvious thing in Jacob's experience here. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering thereon, and he poured all thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Warren Wiersbe writes, moving from Genesis 34 to Genesis 35 is like going from a desert to a garden or from an emergency room to a wedding reception. So great is the change of the events. And yet there is sorrow here as well. There is heartache in this chapter which records God's sanctifying work in Jacob's life. For example, there are four burials of of loved ones here This is the last chapter in Genesis that the Holy Spirit deals primarily with Jacob. From this point on, we hear from him very rarely, except, of course, when he is called to Egypt and when his sons go go to Egypt for food and for help. But then it's just a part of the story. We no longer see the Lord working through Jacob as we have up to this point. The focus moves to Joseph from this point on and to the end of the book. Years before, God told Jacob at Bethel, and now here in verse 1, he again calls Jacob to do just that. He's called Jacob to go to Bethel, and God has not rescinded his call. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And God has not changed his mind, though Jacob has gone a circuitous route to where he is today. We can trace our own journey and faith from the time the Lord saves us and gives us the glorious gospel. But there's a period of time and and sometimes on and on where we, we journey and we get off track at times and God has to put us back on track and he uses various things and people and circumstances to do just that. But just as tirelessly as the Lord has worked in Jacob's life, he works in our lives as well. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, 
and go unto Bethel and dwell, live, stay there. Couldn't be any plainer, could it? This call has already gone out and God reminds Jacob after all these years, Bethel was a place where the Lord had worked mightily in his life. Years before in Genesis 28 verse 16, running from his brother Esau, running out of resources and energy and strength, in fact, with nothing at all. Our Lord appears to Jacob at Bethel at a time of weakness, at a time where he'd, he'd run out of resources. He had no hope and no, no really assurance that he would get to where he was going, to the Laban's house and, and for refuge. And the Lord appears to him at Bethel and shows him the way of salvation. Remember the ladder that God plants down from heaven, a picture of salvation as we studied and pr- pr- promised to take care of him and to protect him on the journey to bring him back to the land of his kindred. God makes that promise to him. At Bethel, Jacob had declared, Surely the Lord is in this place. And he arose up early the next morning, the Bible tells us, and he set up a, an altar and he poured oil on it and he called the place Bethel or the house of God. And there we're told that Jacob vowed a vow. We're back in chapter 28 saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat, he had nothing, he had no resources, and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, hence the name Bethel. Thirty years have gone by since Jacob's conversion. Thirty years of experience, of disobedience, of blessings, all the workings of the Lord in his life. And now the Lord reminds Jacob of those first words of love and affection and promise and and vows that he makes at his conversion and what took place back at Bethel. I want to remind all of you who know the Lord, whether it was at your mother's knee or in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or wherever it was or whatever the circumstances were that brought you to the realization of your lostness and your need of the Savior, that a holy transaction took place there. In fact, we often sing of that in our hymnody. I think of the old song, uh, Happy Day. You know, tis done, tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and he is mine. Whereby we know that Christ and his mercy and his grace and his perfection purchased for us and brought salvation to us and there's not one thing we did to earn it or gain it and yet did we not pledge ourselves our bodies our lives our souls to the lord and those times of repentance and faith i'm the lord's and he is mine i'm yours if you'll have me if you'll cleanse me if you'll take me if you'll save me Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. In so many words, at least in our hearts and minds and emotions, that, that transaction takes place. And, and so it did with Jacob. And yet, 30 years have gone by since that time. And the Lord reminds Jacob of what took place at Bethel. I want to remind you, child of God, of what took place at that t- moment, wherever it was, no matter what the name of the physical place was, where you found the Lord. I want to remind you, just as real, just as sure as in Jacob's life, that transaction that took place between you and the Lord and what the Lord is working on and expecting out of you and me this morning. The Lord had done his part, had he not? 
What did Jacob say? If you'll just feed and clothe me and take care of me and give me sense enough to do the right thing and not make mistakes, and did not the Lord just guide Jacob every step of the way? And then through the, the difficult circumstance of dealing with his father-in-law, the treachery there and the, the deceit of Laban and, and him changing his wages and finally the Lord giving him the idea of how to get wealth and to leave there peaceably, all of that God had done his part. May I ask you this morning, has not the Lord done his part in your salvation? You could not save yourself. You were at a point of despair when you found the Savior. And you may have been a youngster and not known the full gravity of your sin, but as you've grown in grace, you've looked at what the Lord saved you from and kept you from. And to some of you, he did save you out of deep waters and horrible circumstances and, and habits and fetters and chains that he's broken. I want to tell you this morning that the Lord has done his part and he's brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And here we are. We failed him countless times. We weep bitterly as with Peter at our denials of the Lord and with Jacob at our treachery and our, our times of finagling and scheming instead of trusting in the Lord. And yet through it all and in spite of it all, God has been faithful to us. He saved Jacob. He protected him from his vengeful... Who kept Jacob alive from Esau except the restraining hand of God? If Esau could have gotten his hands on Jacob, he would have killed him. God restrained him. Who knows the, the, the miracles and the things that God has worked on our behalf to preserve us to this very hour? If the veil of the unseen were pulled back, so many countless things that we're not even aware of. Circumstances... The what-ifs, and God graciously has brought us to this very hour. Wherever Jacob went, God was with him. Have you not found it your case? Wherever you've gone, the Lord is there. Even in disobedience, even in times of, of failing on your part. We say it over and over again, don't we? But the Lord was faithful. The Lord stood with me. The Lord has guided me. To this very hour, he blessed him and protected him. God in his graciousness has brought Jacob back to Canaan, where Jacob has dawdled on the edge of Canaan. He's brought him, he's told him to go back to, to Bethel, and Jacob comes, and we looked at last week the, the danger of incomplete obedience. It's like incomplete repentance. It falls short. It's like a car with three wheels. It, it's useless and, and Jacob comes to Shechem and dawdles there. That's a good old southern word, lollygags. How many of you know that word, lollygag, all right? That's, I may have to give vocabulary lessons here this morning. But your mother would send you to the store and say, don't lollygag. You go there and come back. And, but Jacob is just dawdling. At, I've come this far as if God ought to be pleased with me for coming this far. But God is not pleased with going just so far. God's word is clear. Jacob does not misunderstand where he's to be. It's not at Shechem. He's to be at Bethel. He had not yet returned to Bethel and waste yet another 10 years on the border, on the edge, looking over into the place of blessing. Now, I want you to know that verse 1 of chapter 35 is a reproof from the Lord. And God said unto Jacob, Arise. Get up, Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. 
We should read the verse with the emphasis on that adverb there. That is a reproof, and that it is a reproof is shown by Jacob's immediate response. He didn't need a a thesaurus or a commentary. He did not need a concordance. He did not need a a Hebrew concordance. He did not need to ask anyone. He immediately acted, didn't he? When the word of the Lord came again in its power and its authority in Jacob's life, ringing like a clarion bell, Jacob immediately acted. And the next thing we see, this reformation, this revival amongst his family and and Jacob beginning to lead the way. This 10 years has been a costly 10 years, hasn't it? Oh, the the horror that has come to, to Jacob's household and his sons being so gruesome and horrible in their revenge of their sister's honor. This is a reproof. And amazingly, the Lord says nothing to Jacob about the idols in his family. Jacob knew. And he had ignored those idols. I'm sure that back when we heard of his wife's idols that she stole when she left from her father. What about that? Nothing is said of Jacob intervening or saying anything. And and no doubt he must have known. And had he not, at least this dawdling on the, the, the border of Canaan and just inside of Canaan among the people of Shechem, his family and his household have, have gathered other idols. And it's something that's like a magnet. It, it happens. It, it, it attracts other things. And in verse 2, David begins, Jacob begins to deal with these besetting sins and leads his family in a house cleaning and in repentance, saying unto his household and to all that were with him, do you see here the influence that the father has? And I, I call out to you fathers this Lord's day. Don't ever underestimate. Don't ever sell your influence short. Jacob has made mistakes. He's a, he's a, a fallible man, and yet he is still the head of his household. He's still the spiritual leader. And Jacob speaks, and amazingly, his family listens. It's quite different from when Lot spoke to his family and they laughed. He had already wasted his influence to such a point that they thought he was joking about any destruction or or judgment from the Lord. But here, Jacob goes back and does those things that he knows. He returns to his first love, as the Scripture tells us, our Lord tells us to his churches there in Revelation. And he goes back and begins to deal with those obvious things that everyone knew were there. Now, admittedly, the the Holy Spirit does not record that God does not bring up the idols. But they're there. Jacob knows it. His family knows it. And so he tells them to put away the strange gods or those foreign idols that, that are among you and be clean. They're among you. I know it and you know it. Nothing has been said of it to this time. But Jacob begins to deal with these things and be clean. Not only had he been disobedient and not returning to Bethel. His household had fallen under the influence of the pagans around them and had been infiltrated with these idols. We notice Rebekah's hidden teraphim back in chapter 31. It must have either been ignored or, or forgotten, but two ways sin is often dealt with. We ignore it or forget it, but God does not. He does not forget it. And neither are the right way to deal with sin, either ignoring or forgetting. But sin must be dealt with in a very real, open, and vivid way and ruthlessly, as we see here. Sin must be judged 
and killed. Paul tells the Corinthians who had glossed over sin and ignored it in their midst, in their own lives, in their church. For this cause, many are are weak and sickly among you and sleep, many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, the Lord gives this ministry of self-judgment to his people. And every time his word is read and and taught and preached, this ministry of self-judgment should go on. Reviewing and asking and analyzing, oh Lord, show me, lead me, and guide me. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, if we do not take the means of grace that God gives us and uses His Word and the messages that we hear and what we read in, in the secret place of devotion and say, Lord, I hear, I will obey, I will judge what you judge, I will deal with what you deal with as He reveals it to us, then there's no need of the Lord to take further measures in our lives. If we confess our sins, His part is to be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. But if we don't, then the Lord will take measures. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, Paul tells the Corinthians, that we should not be condemned with the world. Paul writes to the Roman believers, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. After the word of the Lord graciously came openly and clearly to Jacob, there was no questions about where he should be, go to Bethel and dwell there and what he should do. He must go to Bethel and he must lead his family right then to do the right thing. And Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. This shows that Jacob was aware of the the sinful habits of his family and had ignored the state of things too long. His negligence, his incomplete obedience had aided in the horrible circumstances of his daughter Dinah, and the last chapter, and the, the slaughtering of the men of Shechem. But now he comes to a place of brokenness and obedience. And Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, from a conniver to a prince with God. What a, what a change, a schemer to a prince with God. It's about time that Jacob begins to live up to his name. He's not always lived up to his name. And I remind you and me this morning, we don't always live up to our name, do we? Oh, we're named by his name. Followers of Christ. The early believers were called those of the way, those who followed in the way before they were ever called Christians. A prince is to lead by example and by precept and by action. And last we see Jacob begin to live up to his name and to his responsibilities. Fellow believers, I want you to know that we're called by his name. What a joy that is. What a privilege to be the Lord's. We're called by the name of our Savior. He's made unto us, made us kings and priests unto God. And when our Lord works in our lives, it's always for us to be an influence to others, especially those in our own household. Who can measure the power of influence? The power of your influence. One of the things that Satan does is makes us feel that we're not influential. We have nothing to say, nothing to add. We have no gifts or abilities. And, and we use that in such a way to excuse us 
But no believer is off the hook. All of us are called to be salt and light. He doesn't say you're to try to be light or to try to be salt. You are salt. You are light. If, there, if there's no light where you are, it's because you're not shining. If the salt has lost its savor and there's a problem there, it's because you're not living up to that place, that, in that position that God has called you. Jacob had not been, uh, had been doing too long at Shechem, 10 years. The time wasted there. I wonder this morning about your own experience, where you are in your journey of following the Lord. Can I remind you, as I remind myself, that time cannot be recalled. And wherever you are in that span of time that's called a lifetime, you cannot go back. You cannot recall. He cannot go back to Bethel and recall what was lost from that time until now. The the opportunities, the the, the things that he should have done. These these ten years on the edge, on the sidelines, will, will never, ever be recalled. Do you know that that nothing stops the hand of the clock? I have an hourglass on my desk at home. The grandkids love to play with it. And uh, we set it up, and and we like to watch the the little sands go by. But do you know that your life is, from the time you were born, and to this, this time there's a pile of sand at the bottom. Who knows how many more will go through before your time is over with. You cannot stop it. Time marches on. It it stops for none of us. The heartache that befell him there could not be erased. Why do we, like Jacob, tarry at Shechem when we should all be living at Bethel? We know that's where we're supposed to be. We know that the God says, go and abide, dwell at Bethel and live there. Sometimes we begin to take things for granted spiritually. The Lord has been so good to me. He won't mind me taking this detour here or this delay there. And those delays begin to turn into years. And the years turn into experiences and things that cannot be erased. Sometimes we mistake the Lord's silence as his approval. It's almost like the little child who does something and and mother doesn't find out about it immediately or daddy doesn't say anything about it. And so we think, well, maybe that's not so bad after all. And we begin to, uh, what the scripture calls presumptuous sins. We begin to presume on God's grace. Since he has blessed so long, he'll continue to bless. Since he has not acted, since he has not brought judgment, it must be okay. And we delude ourselves into thinking that everything is all right. It does not seem that the Lord said anything directly to Jacob about the decade he spent there. God had already spoken. Jacob knew where he was supposed to be. And so do you. So do I. We know the word of God. We know the grace of God in our lives. We know where he's brought us from and where we could have been and where he wants us to be. He's already made known his will to Jacob. How often does he have to come? Daily does he come and knock at Jacob's door and say, Now go to Bethel. No, the Lord has waited graciously. And yet he's not changed his direction for Jacob's life. He has not changed his word. And so he has to us as well. He's made his, his will known to us. The question arises, we ask, and it's so easy to see it in Jacob's life and it's hard to see it in our own. Why would he stay at Shechem, a place of heartache and horror, when God would have him to be at Bethel, the house of God? Why? 
For us today, these are not physical locations. Some will say, you might think when I mentioned your conversion, the camp where you were saved or the church where you were saved, but these Old Testament examples for us, this is not so much a location, but places of the heart where the Lord has dealt with us in the inner man. That the child of God can trace the work of the Lord in their lives on the map of their hearts. There. You can go back there in memory. What a wonderful thing memory is. God has given us. We retrace His hand, His guiding, His path. And we can go back there in our mind, in our heart, and see where we were and where we are or where we should be. Bethel is the place of conversion, of salvation, where the Holy Spirit showed us, just as He showed Jacob, our sin and our need for the Savior and pointed us to the grace and the mercy that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a time of repentance, of renewal, of cleansing, of obedience, of direction. At conversion, we find a purpose in life. I am the Lord's and He is mine. I can live for Him. I can, I can give myself to something. I'm not just floundering, living by my own devices. I have wisdom from on high. I, I know some things. I, I have the mind of God revealed to me. I can do His will. There is a purpose for me. And salvation brings all that to us. Purpose and, and blessing. It was a time of repentance and, and obedience. After salvation, the danger, though, is to become smug and overconfident in our spiritual lives. It's a very difficult thing to preach to people who have the attitude, well, I know that, I've been there, I've heard that. It's a very dangerous place to be that as a pastor. I know these things. I've studied them. I've been there. We can all become familiar with the work of the Lord and the ways of the Lord, even His grace. How can we use that word so glibly? His unmerited favor to us. How could we presume on something like that? The very truths that we hold to that God eternally keeps those that are His own in no way brings by, by, around a smugness that we can presume upon God's grace and, and live any way that we want to. What do the apostles say? God forbid away with the thoughts. While we may not be living in absolute sin as we once did, we have the danger of lingering at Shechem, just on the sidelines. Almost there, but not really there, but not back there, but not where we're supposed to be with the Lord. Just, just at Shechem, on the edge of the place of blessing. We often read when the children of Israel later will come to Kadesh Barnea when they could just walk right on over into the land of promise. You remember that crossroads they came to? And they decide to do what so often churches do. They elected a committee. They said, well, we know what the Lord has said, but let's do some more investigation here. Let's go and, and, and select a committee and go in and, 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 and see what, what's there. And they found nothing else. That committee found nothing else that they didn't already know. Giants in the land mean, uh, walled cities, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, the, the fruit and the vegetables there are luscious, and they, that report brought them nothing that God had not already told them. Just a, just a little way, just a day's journey or so over into the land of promise. God said, go, it's yours, I want you to have it, I will fight your enemies, the, 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 they will run from before you. I will guide you and lead you. You're going to live in houses you did not build and, and eat from vineyards you did not plant. 
And then at that crossroads, at that time of decision, what did they do? They decided not to act, not to go on into the land of promise. And from 40 years, like a termite and a yo-yo, they just wander around in the wilderness to that whole generation died before the Lord led them in. God said to Jacob, arise, go up. Do you notice in the scripture, the very words that the Holy Spirit uses about our relationship with the Lord are always up and uplifting. When we go to Egypt, the symbol of the world, we go down to Egypt. When Jonah goes away from the Lord, he goes down to Tarshish, down and away from the Lord. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Whether it was literally up on the map or not, it was up because it was the place of God's choosing, the place of God's blessing. I'm sure that the horrible events in Dinah's life and the slaughter of the men at Shechem were used by the Lord to speak to Jacob because he often has to use events and circumstances to to hit us in the head spiritually for our stubbornness. And they spoke to Jacob, no doubt. And he comes before the Lord in confession, in repentance, in prayer, seeking the Lord's face and his guidance and his blessing. Interestingly, did you know that that Bethel is just 15 miles south of Shechem? Just 15 miles. But it's 1,000 miles higher, higher in elevation. Big, big difference, isn't it? God is always calling us. Remember the old song we used to sing, Higher Ground. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I I long to to be there. Jacob returns to Bethel, originally called Luz, and he builds an altar there, and he calls it El Bethel, or the strong God of the house of God. He's now worshiping the God of the house of God. The Holy Spirit records for us that here a beloved family member dies. Rebecca's nurse, his mother's nurse, Deborah. And if your name is Deborah, do you know that it means a bee? And someone has suggested that, that Deborah was a busy bee in that household, always working and serving. And no doubt she was an industrial, industrious and a faithful worker. Jacob has known Deborah all of his life. For his entire existence, Deborah has been there. And she came with his mother, Rebecca, when she, from Mesopotamia. When Rebecca had left to marry Isaac, she brought, Rebecca, she brought Deborah with her. She had cared for Jacob from the time of his birth. And no doubt there was this relationship between Deborah and Jacob that you can only imagine a grandmotherly type person who had cared for him all of his life. We don't know when Deborah came to live in Jacob's household. We tend to think that he must, she, she must have come to report the death of his mother when he's still away from home. You remember that Rebecca promised her son, I will send for you when it's safe. No doubt when... when uh, When Deborah came, it was with the the news, you can come back home now, but the sad news is that your mother is dead. How close Jacob was to his mother, and I'm sure that emotionally this closeness now is transferred to her maid and her helper, Deborah. 
when her duties and her loyalties had ended, she goes to live with Jacob's household. I think she comes to bring the news and just stays there, I'm surmising. But at some point, she leaves his father's household and comes and it becomes a part of, of Jacob's household, probably serving as a grandmother to his own children. It's interesting, when the Holy Spirit records something for us, it's for our admonition. He records her death. And at a time of, of Jacob coming before the Lord, repenting, deciding to finally go to Bethel, we're told that someone very close to him and very dear to him dies. And I'm sure that he grieved as much at her death, possibly as he did at his own mother's homegoing, this kind of person that had always been in his life. We see that even though Jacob is taking real and, and drastic steps to obey the Lord and to follow him, it doesn't exempt him from sorrow, does it? So often we think, now, Lord, I've gotten right with you. I'm trying to get back on track. I'm going to the place where you want me to be. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And then that sorrow comes. And we often think it is a, a, a harsh thing from the Lord. But after Deborah's death, while Jacob's heart is still tender, once again the Lord speaks to him. And look at what the Lord says to him in verse 9. He graciously comes to Jacob. God appeared to him again. His heart is tender. Do you know that the Lord uses circumstances, even these kinds of things, to speak to us? And so always look for the Lord to, to minister to you in these times. When he came out of Padanaram and blessed him, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thou shalt not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. He reveals himself to him as God Almighty. El Shaddai. Revealed to him by this name to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. That's the name that, that God revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac into Genesis 28, verse 3. And so now God is becoming not only the God of grandfather and father, but of grandson. And we often refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The name is related to the Hebrew word breast. In the Hebrew, the word shad is breast. And it gives the idea of God as one who nourishes and provides, who is strong enough to do all things and to give us all that we need, no matter what the circumstances may be. He reiterates to, to Jacob the Abrahamic covenant, that sovereign covenant of grace that God made to Abraham of old. I'm going to make you a great nation. You who are nobody, I'm going to make you a great nation as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, a great and mighty people, and through you every nation on earth will be blessed. And we are through the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He reiterates that, that through, through Jacob, he would bring this to pass. Jacob would be a company of nations. Look at the words that the Lord uses here. You're going to be a company of nations, speaking of his sons as being the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is now at last Israel, a prevailing and powerful prince with God. It's as if God is saying to Jacob, now, Jacob, live up to your name. Live up to it. I have made you a prince. Now act like one. And I remind you, church, today, so it is with us. We are children of the King. We're seated in, in heavenly places. Our lives and our conduct should be carried out with this exalted privilege in mind. We are joint heirs with Christ, the Bible tells us. And we have a noble calling. We have great responsibilities. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. After building an altar in a place of worship at Bethel, 
Jacob journeys to go see his father, Isaac. When they get to Ephrath or to Bethlehem, Rachel dies in childbirth. She's already had Joseph and after years of barrenness, and now she names this baby Son of Sorrow. And Jacob wisely changes his son's name, not wanting him, no doubt, to bear that his entire life, every time his name was called, that he died, his mother died when he was born. And he changes his name to Benjamin, or Son of My Right Hand. You see, Jacob is beginning to look at life in a different perspective from a heavenly spiritual perspective. And Jacob tenderly marks her grave with a monument which was still evident in Moses' day. Reuben's sin is recorded there in verse 22. It was a statement of as much as anything that he was now going to take over the leadership of the family. He was going to be the patriarch. He was taking his father's place and acts not unlike the prodigal son that we read about in the New Testament, already usurping his place as the head of the family even before Jacob dies. And though Jacob doesn't address it now, the record tells us of Reuben's sin with with Bilhah. The Bible says, and Israel heard it. He doesn't act here, but he heard it. And he doesn't forget it either. Later on Jacob's deathbed, he the indictment was read out publicly. No doubt all those years, Reuben thought, well, Daddy didn't care. He's forgotten about it. But when he comes to die, he remembers and he makes a statement and it will cost him his birthright, Reuben's birthright. John Phillips writes, his unconfessed and uncleansed sin was to dog his future days. God always punishes immorality. Sooner or later, the axe always falls. Moral, social, spiritual, physical, and even psychological whips are all available to God with which to chasten those who transgress in this area. And he did. Here, the the roster, amazingly, of the 12 tribes is given to us again, listed for us here, the 12 tribes of Israel. We see there in verse 27, And Jacob came into Isaac his father in Mamre, and to the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac journeyed. And the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered into his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. At last, Jacob is at home, this time finally with his entire household. No doubt he has made some visits, but now he's here. All of his sons, the whole entourage, what a sight it was just before Isaac dies. Isaac is old and blind and feeble, 180 years old. Isaac lives longer than any of the other patriarchs, though more is said of his father and of his son than is recorded of him. The Bible tells us he died. Here we see in this last verse a, a moving scene. Old enemies have come together. Esau, who would have killed his brother if he could have gotten his hands on him. We've already met. They've already made things right. The twins come together as they bury their father, remember him and bury him, an indication that they're no longer enemies. And Isaac is buried with Rebekah and Sarah and Abraham in the tomb that Abraham himself had purchased at Mamre. We close a chapter in the life of Isaac. 
We still see the Lord at work in his son's lives. Oh, what a marvelous work of grace that God has done to bring Jacob to this very place. But I remind you and me this morning, trace the hand of God, the map of God's grace in your life. Perhaps you're here today and you've not been to Bethel, that place of repentance and faith. The Lord has shown you your sin and shown you the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why tarry? Why not take his gracious and free provision of salvation? You can go to him now where you are and call on him in faith and he will save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The God of Bethel, the God who shows himself strong on our behalf, would you go and give yourself to him, totally over to him. And then you do not have to do as Jacob did and take a long and circuitous route. You can live at Bethel, the house of God, the place of of God's blessing. May the Lord bless his word this morning. Our gracious heavenly father, we marvel as we study the lives of these folks, your work in their lives. And yet we have a story to tell as well, a testimony of how you've been long and gracious and long suffering and patient with us. Lord, I pray you ministered every heart. Now your word this morning, this portion that you've had for us as we've make it, made our way through the book of Genesis. Lord, we've been to funerals this morning. We've seen you at work in, in cleansing from sin and setting aside of idols. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would deal with each of us, though nothing specifically has been named. Even though you did not openly speak to Jacob about the idols, he knew exactly what to do. And so I pray that you deal with each one of us, Lord. You who are the searchers of all, searcher of all our hearts, you know our down-sitting and uprising and our thoughts from afar. Oh, Lord, search us and try us to know our hearts and show us anything that would displease you. Show us where we've left off from following you. Raise us from our, from our comfortableness at Shechem. May we all go and determine to live at Bethel. The strong God of the house of God is our Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, bless us today and speak to every heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.